Welcome to the Trinity's Podcast, where we explore theories about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you love God enough to think about Him? Episode 206, Florian Fisher, A Slightly Opinionated Introduction to Philosophy of Time. This is the first in a series of special episodes of the Trinity's podcast. These are the presentations given at a one-day international workshop held on the 12th of August, 2017, at the University of Bonn in the great nation of Germany. Analytic theology, that is, philosophically informed theology, is thriving right now. So is philosophy of time. The two can't help but interact. And in this series, you're going to find out about some of the latest developments and the different clashing positions in the field. Special thanks go out to Dr. Ryan Mullins, Analytic Theology Fellow at the School of Divinity in the University of St. Andrews. You may remember him from Trinity's Podcasts episode 141 and 142, in which we discussed his excellent book on God and time, and also his views on what's been called classical theism. It was Dr. Mullins who agreed to bring my recording equipment to Bonn. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Appreciate it very much. Thanks also go to the workshop organizers, who were Florian Fischer, Johannes Grossel, and Sasha Hilgert. The conference was organized and supported by the Society for the Philosophy of Time. I've got the link for their website on the blog post for this episode, so check that out if you're interested. And the Templeton Foundation also chipped in, so thanks go to them as well. Mr. Fisher is a Ph.D. student and research assistant at Bonn. He's already earned his M.A. there. His thesis was called The Problem of Persistence in Minkowski's Space-Time. He specializes in laws of nature, dispositions, and persistence, and is also interested in philosophy of science, logic, and philosophy of time more generally. He's published on several of these topics and given numerous talks about them. His abstract for this paper is as follows. There are several intertwined debates in the area of contemporary philosophy of time. One field of inquiry is the nature of time itself. Presentists think that only the present moment exists, whereas eternalists believe that all of space-time exists on a par. The second main field of inquiry is the question of how objects persist through time. The endurantist claims that objects are three-dimensional wholes, which persist by being wholly present whereas the perdurantist thinks that objects are four-dimensional and that their temporal parts are the bearers of properties. The third debate in the field of contemporary philosophy of time is about tense versus tenseless theory. Tensors are at odds with detensors about the status of the linguistic reference to the present moment. I fully realize that some listeners will find this material difficult, but I encourage you to plunge boldly in. You don't only want to hear people just repeating back as much as you already know. You want to hear people that know more than you, people whose understanding is beyond yours. This is how you stretch yourself. This is how you open up new vistas, new avenues of thought. You find deeper, complicated material and you stick with it. It might take several passes to really get it. But each time through, some new rays of light penetrate. 
One last note, if you really want to follow along and learn from this presentation, you might also want to read the published version of this paper. It was published in 2016 in a journal called Criterion, Journal of Philosophy. He's posted this on his site, and I'll have a link to that on the blog post for this episode. Here then is Mr. Fisher with his talk, A Slightly Opinionated Introduction to Philosophy of Time. There are several intertwined debates in the area of contemporary philosophy of time. One field of inquiry is the nature of time itself. Presentists think that only the present moment exists, whereas eternalists believe that all of space, time, exists on a par. The second main field of inquiry is the question of how objects persist through time. The endurantist claims that objects are three-dimensional wholes, which persist by being wholly present, whereas the pederantist thinks that objects are four-dimensional and that their temporal parts are the bearers of properties. The third debate in the field of contemporary philosophy of time is about tense versus tenseless theories. Tensors are at odds with detenders about the status of the linguistic reference to the present moment. These are only very crude characterization and it's even disputed by some advocates of the corresponding disp uh, positions that they are accurate. However, this very sketchy picture already reveals a fundamental difference. The eternalism-presentism and the endurance-perdurance discussion belongs to the field of metaphysics, whereas tense is, in the first instance, a linguistic phenomenon. Quote, Among the many fields of philosophy, there are two that are more intimately interconnected than most, but whose practitioners have too long pursu pursued relatively independent paths. On the one hand, there are philosophers of language who have devoted much attention to the indexicals now, etc., temporal operators, it has been the case, etc., and tensed sentences. On the other hand, there are philosophers of tensed and tenseless time, also called A or B time, dynamic time or static time, etc. Yochik uh, and Smith's claim, uh, unquote, Yochik and Smith's claim can be generalized for philosophy of time as a whole. They are prima facie distinct debates about the nature of time, the persistence of objects, and the reference to the present moment. However, these debates are interrelated, and the positions held regarding one of them may have implications upon the options for the other debates. And even if systematic links between the debates have to be rejected, the choice in one debate often de facto mirror the choices in the others. Quote, the line between philosophy of language and metaphysics is blurred, and one is tempted to view them instead as a continuum, unquote. So this introduction proceeds as follows. In the section... Uh, in the first section, um, I will talk about the, the nature of time, this first debate, then I will talk about the persistence debate, and then about the debate about tense, and then shortly I will mention some package deals and how they are related, just to get you up uh, on what, what's now discussed in, in the philosophy of time. Okay, so firstly we start with the eternalism-presentism debate, the debate about the nature of time. Eternalists and presentists debate about the nature of time. While presentists think that the present is ontologically outstanding, eternalists hold that the whole space-time is ontologically on a par. Or, put differently, quote, according to the presentists, only the present entities exist. According to the eternalist, past and future entities also exist. Main works 
of eternalism include David Lewis on the plurality of worlds, William Van Orman Quine's word and object, Ted Sider's four-dimensionalism. Similar contributions to the debate about presentism um, include Bigelow's presentism and properties, McCosian's in defense of presentism, and Trenton Merrick's persistence, parts, and presentism, and Dean Zimmerman's temporary intrinsics and, intrinsics and presentism. Eternalism and presentism come in different kinds of formulations. They can be formulated concerning time itself or the occupants of time. I will not discuss here whether these formulations are equivalent, since for our introductory purpose it suffices to sketch the big picture. In the time formulation, Ted Sider, an eternalist, characterizes presentism as the doctrine that only the present is real. Here, he is talking about time itself. So according to Sider's presentist, every non-present time is not real. The future is not yet real and the past not any war, one might to add. When formulated with the occupants in mind, the debate is about what there is or about what the range of things to which we are ontologically committed. Sider writes, a presentist thinks that everything is present, more generally that necessarily it is always true that everything is then present. Here, the contrasting class that not, does not consist of other times, future and past times, but of non-present objects. Dinosaurs do not belong to the everything since they are not present, according to Sider's presentist. Phrasing it in slightly more formal terms, the everything suggests a general quantifier. Together with the mantra that to be is to be the value of a bound variable, we can characterize presentism in the way Ned Mercosian did. According to presentism, if we were to make an accurate list of all things that exist, i.e. a list of all things that our most unrestricted quantifiers range over, there would be not a single non-present object on the list. As some have argued, the presentist cannot even articulate her own view consistently. Formulations matter a great deal here. Note that Sider speaks of real, while Mercosian uses exists. Asks whether Socrates exists, the present could give the plausible answer, no, he existed. The presentist thus could acknowledge that Socrates is presently not existing. However, this denial does not imply that Socrates is on a par with Santa, according to the presentist. In contrast to Santa, Socrates, as far as we know, existed. Socrates exists, used to be true, while Santa exists, was never true. The presentist thus neither has to bulldoze the difference between Socrates and Angela Merkel, nor the difference between Socrates and Santa. In contrast to this, it sounds much more implausible to say that Socrates is not real, just because he is not present. We leave the matter to be and turn to the presentist's antagonist eternalism. Eternalism states that there are such things as merely past and future entities. You may have noticed that this is the occupant formulation, and that with there is we have an existential quantifier. Sider's formulation is quite careful. The merely excludes entities which are also present, entities with which the presentist in Sider's fashion would not have a problem. Furthermore, the existential quantifier is very modest. One merely past entity suffices to make there are such things as merely past and future entities true. Thus, even at the last moment of time, where there are no future entities, Sider's formulation could still differentiate presentism from eternalism. Trenton Merrick supplies the time formulation of eternalism. 
Eternalism says that all times are equally real. The presentist could actually agree inverting to this, if not in spirit, of course. For the presentist, the all will range over the present only. It is thus trivially true for her that all times are equally real, as there is only one time. The idea behind the time formulation of eternalism is clear, however. There are times other than the present, and these are as real as the present. It is not the case that the future and the past subsist, while only the present exists. Even my earlier formulation that eternalists believe that all of space-time exists on a par is not enough to define eternalism, since all of space-time could be unreal. Then it would be on a par, but not in the way that the eternalists wants. The formulation may suffice to distinguish presentism from eternalism, however. Merrix also offers a different characterization of eternalism. Objects existing at past times and objects existing at future times are just as real as objects existing at the present. This is the occupant's formulation, obviously. Once again I would query that the presentist must not deny the reality of Merle, which uh, Merrix does not mention past and future objects. But maybe non-existing real entities seem strange. Let's fight squaldiness with abundance and hear another characterization of eternalism, this time from David Lewis. Quote, There is nothing so far away from us not to be part of our world. Anything at any distance at all is to be included. Likewise, the world is inclusive in time. No long-gone ancient Romans, no long-gone pterodactyls, no long-gone primordial clouds of plasma are too far in the past, nor are the dead dark stars too far in the future to be part of this same world. Unquote. Lewis, admittedly rhetorical brilliant, quote, nicely captures the egalitarian tendencies of eternalism. All times are part of this same world, and time is like space. The former we have heard before while the latter offers a new aspect of eternalism. Eternalists often overemphasize that time is just one dimension of space-time and thus hold that time and space are alike, or at least that, quote, time is very much like the dimension of space, unquote. They believe that X is later than Y is just another transitive, irreflexive, asymmetrical relation like X is left of Y. Eternalists, quote, would like to stand in thought outside the whole temporal process and describe the world from a point of view which has no temporal perspective at all, but surveys all temporal positions at a single glance. The different points in time have a relation of temporal predecessance between themselves, but no temporal relation to the viewpoint of the description, unquote. Dummett's quote hints at the fear of the eternalists that the presentist's ontological prioritization of the present as the point of view of description deprives presentism of objectivity. Perhaps this fear is justified, perhaps not. Of course we cannot end the eternal battle of presentists and eternalists in this meager introduction. Let us listen to some allegedly smoothing tunes instead. Quote, These two ways of thinking, the way of time and history and the way of eternity and of timelessness are both part of man's effort to comprehend the world in which he lives. Neither is comprehended in the other nor reducible to it. This quote by Oppenheimer can be used to challenge the very foundation of the eternalist presentist debate. 
Maybe there are not two mutually exclusive alternatives. Maybe they could even be combined. Quote, Hybrid views acknowledge that the world may be thought of as an existent four-dimensional entity, but retain the idea that there is something special about present times. Unquote. With this, Greg Callender hints at a possible combination of eternalism and presentism. Another way to question the classical eternalism-presentism distinction is to say that it is not exhaustive. Presentists hold the present dear, while eternalists believe of all space-time to be ontologically homogeneous. What of the people who want to distinguish between the past and the future? You believe that the past to be settled while the future holds a variety of possible developments? Maybe then the growing block theory is something for you. According to its proponents, Quote, only objects that are either past or present, but not objects that are future, exist. According to this theory, the past and present are on a par, while the future is differentiated from them. The present just happens to be the edge of existence, i.e. the border of the block. And this block is growing, because the universe is always increasing in size, as more and more things are added to the front end, temporally speaking. This growing of the block is supposed to be the reason why the present always differs in content. We can distinguish the question whether the present is ontologically special or not from the question whether what exists changes over time or not. Following Kurt Friebe's terminology, we call a few according to which existence is time-relative, dynamic, and one where this is not the case, static. Classical eternalism is static, as neither the present is distinguished nor what there is changes over time. On the other end of the spectrum we have classical presentism, where the present is so special that all there is is present. One might think that presentism is the only dynamic theory, but the recently mentioned growing block is dynamic as well, at least according to Friebe. A static theory besides classical eternalism is the so-called moving spotlight theory. According to the moving spotlight theory, the present is like a spotlight, hence the name, which sheds its light on the present point in time. It moves alongside the timeline, thus always rendering a different time present. You may be wondering now with which speed the present moves or how it moves at all if the timeline is supposed to be time. Well, of course, the spotlight present moves in meta-time. If you find meta-time suspicious and suspect that movement in meta-time needs meta-meta-time to be explicated, then you are in the midst of McTaggart's argument. Quote, Tense realism is the tenet that tense determinations such as being past, present or future are amongst the ingredients of temporal reality. Famously, McTaggart maintained that the reality of time implies tense re realism, but argued that tense realism is incoherent. Unquote. The literature on McTaggart's alleged proof of the unreality of time is legion, and we cannot go into it here, but note that his contradiction charge is alive and kicking. These problems of a relatively moving present hint at why the presentist cannot take the whole of space-time as ontologically prior and then distinguish the present. This would lead right into the contradictory arms of McTaggart. The presentist must think of the present as ontologically prior and of space-time as derivative. This does not imply a denial of the reality of non-present parts of space-time, like the presentist must not deny the reality of dinosaurs. Be that as it may, we now have to go on and turn to the question of persistence.
When the Trinity's podcast returns, two different views about how real things last through time. The endurance-patterance debate is about the persistence of objects through space-time. It revolves about so-called problem of identity through time. There is an imminent contradiction with Leibniz's law for changing objects. To see this, we must first get a grip on the concept of change. A theory of change is necessarily concerned with the persistence of objects or systems through time, and thus a criterion for change is that something persists through the change. It is a different situation whether a red ball is replaced with a blue one, or whether a red ball turns blue. So one benchmark for a theory of change is to distinguish change from exchange. Call this continuity. A second benchmark for a theory of change is which sounds almost trivial, that there needs to be a change. I call this neutrally difference, as it may consist in something else. For example, for Kant, a persisting substance changes by exchanging its properties, meaning that the change of one entity can consist in the seizing and beginning of other entities. However, there is more to difference. The properties which are exchanged must be incompatible in order for there to be change. If something is first red and then square, it does not amount to change. As we have sketched out, change needs identity as well as difference. On the face of it, incompatible properties account for the difference, while the continuity is ensured by the numerical identity of the persisting object. But here the problem of persistence has a systematic roots. According to Leibniz's law of the indiscernibility of identicals, things which are identical have to have the same properties. This is in tension with the very idea of change, according to which one and the same persisting object is supposed to have different, even incomp incompatible properties. During the rise of the new analytic metaphysics, the question of the nature of change was formulated anew by David Lewis. The possible solutions to the problem of change he discusses are till today the base for our accounts of persistence. These modern accounts fall into two camps which have their own ways of dealing with the imminent contradiction with Leibniz's law. Let us say that something persists if somehow or other it exists at various times. This is the neutral world. Something perdures if it persists by having different temporal parts or stages at different times, so no one part of it is wholly present at more than one time. Whereas it endures if it persists by being wholly present at more than one time. The endurantist thinks if this is the world line of an object, that the object is multi-located. At each location there is three-dimensional hole, which is the object, whereas the perdurantist thinks that the whole world line is the object and at each location there is a temporal part which is a three-dimensional part of the whole object and this is the primary property bearer whereas here the enduring object is the primary property bearer. Okay, perdurantism. One possible solution is perdurantism which describes objects as extended in time. 
Pair-during objects do not only have a spatial extension, but also a temporal extension. The things we interact with in our everyday life are, according to Perdurantism, three-dimensional parts of actually four-dimensional objects. This is a dissolution of the contradiction, as the properties are instantiated by different temporal parts. A ball which is first red and then blue that changes by having a red and a blue temporal part. The red temporal part is not identical to the blue temporal part and hence the incompatible properties can be instantiated without a contradiction. This alleged solution of the problem of change comes with the price that contrary to our intuitions, objects are four-dimensional space-time entities. Quote, we perdure, we are made up of temporal parts and our temporary intrinsics are properties of these parts when they differ one from another. There is no problem at all about how different things can differ in their intrinsic properties. Unquote. What constitutes continuity for the perdurantist? If there are just different objects instantiating different properties, how can the Pendurantist distinguish change from exchange? The obvious answer is that the objects in question are temporal parts. Thus, there is a whole of which they are part, so the continuity is supplied by the parthood relation. Ted Sider endorses a variant of Pendurantism called the stage view, which identifies continuance with the stages themselves and not the four-dimensional whole. Here, the three-dimensional entities located at their respective moments of time are called stages and not temporal parts, precisely because they are not parts of a four-dimensional whole. Quote, Strictly speaking, the stages are only momentary entities, but they are nevertheless said to persist through time by having counterparts at other times. In contrast to the enduring object, the stages are not multilocated. Identity cannot be the continuity maker since the counterpart of something is never identical with the thing itself. The stages do not persist themselves as they are confined to the respective temporal locations, but the stage view is nevertheless an account of persistence since the counterpart relation establishes continuity. One could launch a version of the famous Humphrey objection against Perdurantism counterpart, CP. If the continuance of our everyday ontology are stages and these only have the temporal properties of their respective points in time, then it is hard to see how I can have any non-present properties. Sider answers to this with a variant of a reply to the original Humphrey objection. Quote, I do have various tense properties such as the property of futurely being not straight, but this is no more a lack of straightness than its being possibly not straight. Unquote. Notably, David Lewis, who holds a counterpart theory for crossword identification, does not posit a counterpart relation between the three-dimensional, one-time-located perdurantistic property bearers. Without arguments, however, this would be an ad hominem to ignore it as a possible unifier. Lewis states, quote, Perdurance, which I favor for the temporal case, is closer to the counterpart theory, which I favor for the modal case. And sure, Perdurance is closer than endurance, but counterparts would be even closer. Lewis gives us a hint of why he rejects counterpart perdurantism. Quote, counterpart theory concentrates on the parts and ignores the individual composed of them. Unquote. Thus, it is questionable whether the inner world counterpart account in spirit really is a perdurantistic solution.
or if it should better be pigeonholed as an enderantistic solution. Let's have a closer look at enderantism then. Enderantists respect the everyday intuition that objects are three-dimensional entities, thus endering objects are multi-located. As they are located at every time of their existence, the enderantist takes the alleged more intuitive route of three-dimensional objects, therefore the solution of the pederantist is not possible for him. Pederantism can be understood as time-indexing the object. Parallel to this, the alleged solution of the enderantist can be depicted as temporally indexing the predicates. Call this view indexicalism. Object O being F at T1 is reinterpreted by the indexicalist at O is FT1 or FT1O. This is not satisfactory because an object which remains red would always instantiate different properties, red T1, red T2, red T3. In the light of this criticism, adverbialism was invented. Here the copula is is amended with a temporal index or a temporal adverb, hence the name adverbialism, is added to the sentence. So either the ball is T1 red or the ball is T1 Lee red. In the debate, the name adverbialism is used for both versions, but sometimes the temporal adverb variant is taken to be the stronger one. Without taking a stance on this, I will name the index copula variant copularism. It may turn out to be that metaphysically there is no difference between the two, or that copularism is a subspecies of adverbialism. Still, it helps to have the conceptual resources to distinguish them. Lewis depicts endurantism differently. Contrary to the surface appearance, intrinsic properties like shapes are not really properties. They are, quote, disguised relations, unquote. Object O stands in the F relation to time T1 and in the G relation to time T2. Call this variant relationalism and add it to our list of solution candidates for the problem of change. An additional alleged solution, in fact one that Lewis discusses, is presentism. Presentism is in so much a solution as there is only one moment of time, i.e. the present, and thus never are any incompatible properties instantiated. As presentism is not on a par with the other options, it's a account about the nature of time and not the persistence through time, it is hard to depict it in the same fashion as other as the other alleged solutions. One way the presentist represents change is with temporal operators. When the object O is G, G O, it was the case that it was F. So we have this past tense operator saying in the past there was a moment where it was F and it is G O now. Because Quote, while the eternalists can give the truth conditions in terms of quantification over past objects, the presentist has to resort to irreducible tensed operators, which he does not take to commit her to the existence of past objects. Unquote. According to Lewis, however, presentism rejects endurance, because it rejects persistence altogether. Lewis thinks that for a presentist other times are on a par with fictions, and that she does not give an account of persistence. But, at least according to her own claim, the presentist can distinguish between dinosaurs and unicorns. Only the former have been present, while the latter, sadly, will never have been present. True, quote, opponents of presentism have often argued that the presentist has difficulty in accounting for what makes 
presentably true past tense propositions true in a way that is compatible with her metaphysical view of time and reality, unquote. So I merely want to note that Lewis' argument is a non sequitur. From the presentist's denial that the present is on a par with other times, it just does not follow that other times are on a par with fictions. A further possibility is to take the relation of property exemplification, E, as time-dependent. ET1OF. This solution takes shapes to be index-free properties and accepts the existence of points in time besides the present, just like Lewis' own solution. It is in no need, however, of temporal parts. It goes back to a proposal by Uwe Meixner. Actually, Meixner presents a slightly different version with a three-place relation of property exemplification E3, which relates an object, a time, and a property. E3, O, T1, F. I call this proposal in, these proposals in honor of their, as far as I know, inventor, Meixnerism ETN and Meixnerism E3. For both versions, the relations can either be one of second-order logic if the relatum is a property like capital F or capital G, or it can also be formalized in the first-order logic taking the corresponding singular terminus redness corresponding to the property of being red or small f and small g. I take no sides here. Maybe the choices between logical simplicity and metaphysical dubiousness, maybe it doesn't matter. Note that Mike's name himself uses small f as a proper name for a universal. This is like an introduction to the possible ways how the eternalism, uh, the the is debate can be can be can be framed. There's there's Jeffrey Brower's uh, near Aristotelian enderantism. There's my own proposal, Brodorantism, which is not on there. But um, this is just to give you to give you an introduction that is the the field of possible views is a little bit more complicated than when Lewis wrote his paper and said there are three solutions and two of them don't work. There are, there are more than three solutions. When the Trinity's podcast returns, he surveys some linguistic disputes. Could we in principle say everything that needs to be said about this temporal world using atemporal language? And is there anything in reality that corresponds to the tenses of our human languages? To put it differently, past, present, and future, are those only features of grammar, or are they also features of the objective world? So now to the to the third part, the tense versus tenses series. We turn to the controversy about the status of tense. This debate started out within the philosophy of language. The old bio-theoreticians contested the relevance of the reference to the present moment. They sought linguistic phenomena like tense and aspect and words like now or tomorrow belong only to the surface structure of the sentences and in Quote, fashioning canonical notations, it is usual to drop tense distinction, unquote. 
The idea is that our messy language obstructs the access to its own semantical or logical structure and deviation from the surface structure helps to clear things up. Thus, the core of the old B-theory is the, quote, enterprise of paraphrasing statements so as to isolate their logical structures, unquote. Eternalism denies an objective reference to the present moment and thus tense sentences must have tenseless truth conditions. According to the eternalist, the surface structure of a tense sentence does not correspond to an objective feature in the world. The simple correspondence theory of truth states that sentence like Paris is the capital of France is true just in case the corresponding state of affairs holds, i.e. Paris really is the capital of France. Likewise, it is raining now should be true just in case it is raining now. An objective reference to the present moment, now, leads to an objective truth value. As the eternalist drops this objective reference to the present moment, she must come up with an ersatz truth maker, or otherwise she would have to deny that tense sentences have a truth value at all. The old B-theoreticians believed in translatability. All tense sentences are translatable without loss of meaning into tenseless sentences. There were different accounts on the market on how this translation should look like in detail. Gottlob Frege voted for a date indication analysis. A tense sentence like S1, it is raining now, actually means something along the lines of it is raining at Thursday the 13th of May 2014. Bertrand Russell's token reflexive analysis, in contrast, states that sentences should be translated into it is raining at the point in time that is co-temporal with this utterance. Arthur Pryor has famously argued for the irreducibility of tense. Tense sentences and beliefs are not translatable into tenseless ones, according to Pryor. However, they are important for our actions. The example is the joy we feel after an important test is over. Sentences we utter at such occasions cannot be understood tenselessly and only tensed beliefs explain our actions and change of emotions, i.e. from stressed to relieved. One says, for example, thank goodness that's over. And not only is this, when said, quite clear without any date appended, but it says something which is impossible that any use of a tenseless copula with a date should convey. Breyer was very explicit about the non-translatability of tense sentences and claimed that the attempt of the old biotheoreticians to substitute indexes, indexicals like now with a date and a time indication failed. What causes our joy after the important test is not that the test is over at, say, 4 p.m., we would have known that beforehand. Also, the tenseless relation of earlier-later does not help in this case. It is tenselessly true that 4.15pm is later than 4pm on the same day. Neither the tenseless fact that the test lasts till 4pm, nor the tenseless fact that 4.15pm is later than 4pm explains our joy, and even both together are not sufficient. It is the fact that 415 p.m. is now that gives meaning to the sentence thank goodness that's over and that explains our feeling of joy and our actions celebrating thank goodness that's over has an implicit reference to the present moment and stands for thank goodness that's over now 
It certainly does not mean the same as, for example, thank goodness the date of the conclusion of that thing is Friday, June 15th, 1954. Even if it be said then, nor for the matter, does it mean thank goodness the conclusion of that thing is contemporaneous with this utterance. Why should anyone thank goodness for that? Neither the translation strategy of the, B of the old B-theory nor the token reflexive strategy were able to capture the meaning of tense sentences like that good thank goodness that's over, according to Pryor. Pryor was chiefly concerned with matters of time and thus his paper focused on the indexical now, which is also our topic here. John Perry made a more general claim concerning indexicals. Perry's 1979 paper features three examples of which I would like to introduce the one starring the tardy professor. A professor who desires to attend the department meeting on time and believes correctly that it begins at noon sits motionless in his office at that time. Suddenly he begins to move. What explains his action? A change in belief. He believed all along that the department meeting starts at noon. He came to believe, as if we, as he would have put it, that it starts now. Perry called beliefs which contain indexicals like I, here, and now locating beliefs. Locating beliefs are necessary for our actions, since the corresponding tenseless belief do not explain the sudden movement of the tardy professor. Perry's conclusion was that we believe the same thing but in different ways. As time passes, I go from the state corresponding to the meeting will begin to the one corresponding to the meeting is beginning and finally to the meeting has begun. All along I believe of noon that it is when the meeting begins, but I believe it in different ways. And to these different ways of believing the same thing, different actions are appropriate. Preparation, movement, apology. Since we are not concerned with beliefs here, the details of Perry's account do not matter. We can, however, state that Perry puts forward a strong argument against the translatability of tense sentences into tenseless ones. After Pryor and Perry, it has generally been accepted that tense sentences and beliefs are necessary for our actions and that they cannot be translated without loss of meaning into tenseless ones. The new tensor theory of time, NTT, differs from the old B theory by acknowledging the irreducibility of tense sentences. So even B-series accept that there are sentences whose truth values depend on time. The entity thus incorporates more dynamics as one would expect. But still, the entity is an eternalistic theory, i.e. every point in time is ontologically on a par and there is no objective reference to the present moment. So how does a non-tensed worldview go alongside with irreducible tense sentences? The entity exploits the fact that the surface structure of a sentence can deviate from the structure of the truth maker of the sentence. According to the old B-theory, tense sentence could or even should be translated into tenseless ones. But after Pryor and Perry, this thesis must be dropped. Quote, Recent defenders of the tenseless view have come to embrace the thesis that tense sentences cannot be translated by tenseless ones without loss of meaning. Unquote. The new B-theoreticians still call their view tenseless, but this tenselessness now concerns the structure of the world. The link between metaphysics and language became much tighter. One can only truly be called a B-theoretician nowadays if one holds a tenseless worldview. Quote, tensed discourse is indeed necessary for timely action, but tensed facts are not, unquote. 
Tensed beliefs can vary in their truth value, but tenseless ones do not change their truth value. Tenseless truth conditions can be given for every tensed belief according to the entity. Tensed sentences may have different truth values, thus must have different truth conditions. This is at odds with the plausible claim that any sentence, and thus also a tensed sentence, has the same meaning in every context. The champion of the entity, David Hugh Mellor himself, agrees that, quote, truth conditions must surely supervene on meaning, unquote. A sentence like, it is raining now, has the same meaning always and everywhere. But it seems that according to the entity, the sentence must change its truth conditions, since it must be made true by different tenseless facts at every time. Only a tense theoretician can maintain that it is raining now has the same tense truth conditions in every context, namely that it is true if the tense fact that it is raining now occurs. At first glance, it seems that the B theoretician could just posit a different reduction strategy to acknowledge Brian and Perry's argument. Instead of translating the tense sentences, she claims that there are different tenseless truth conditions for every token of the sentence. As we have seen, however, this contradicts the claim that a sentence has the same meaning at every time and thus that truth conditions supervene on meaning. Mella's entity from real time 2 is supposed to solve this problem. Mella claims that a token of a tense sentence is tenselessly true and has only one truth condition. This acknowledges the variability of truth value on the type level. If a token of a tense sentence is true, then it is atemporary true made true by a tenseless fact. With this distinction between type and token in place, Mella can account for the stable meaning of a tense sentence. In his first attempt, real-time, Meller understood the meaning of a tense sentence as a function from utterances to truth conditions. Due to strong critique, he changed his position and in real-time too, he understands the meaning of a tense sentence as a function from B-times to B-truth conditions. Meaning is concerned with sentence types, according to Meller. Tenseless sentences have constant functions as their meaning, while the functions of tensed sentences can be non-constant. The possibility of variation in the truth conditions, the codomain of the function, allows for the variability of truth value. We have introduced the dynamic static distinction in the concept of the presentism-eternalism debate. A quick reminder, a few is dynamic if existence is time-relative, otherwise static. In section 3, we have introduced the distinction between A and B theory. Combining both leads to four time-reality combinations. Classical eternalism is a static B theory and classic presentism is a dynamic A theory. The moving spotlight theory states that existence is not time-relative, but the present is nevertheless ontologically distinguished, and thus it is a static A theory. While the growing block theory is at least a dynamic B theory. Presentists are virtually always endurantists. Many may even think that presentism and perduantism are inconsistent. At least Sider holds that no contemporary philosopher defends the combination of presentism and perdurance. Contrary to that, Barrett Bogart does not only think that presentism and perduantism are compatible, but develops a presentist four-dimensionalism. Jürgen Hansen builds his stage view presentism on this which he claims to be an appealing alternative for presentists who remain impartial to both the endurantist and the warm theory of persistence. In the debate about persistence, eternalism is often presupposed. 
This hints at the prima facie compatibility of both endurantism and perdurantism with eternalism. This is plausible. Given eternalism, the disagreement is about what the world line represents. Perdurantists think that this is the whole object, whereas endurantists believe that the world line to represent the history of the object, as the figure has shown. So perdurantism seems to come pack and parcel with eternalism. It is certainly true that most, if not all, four-dimensionalists presuppose eternalism, unquote. The endurantist is at least prima facie free to choose, however, the combination of eternalism and perdurantism is called manifold theory. The deal might be even more inclusive for the perdurantist, as it may include the tenseless theory, which we have seen in section 3. The other way around is quite inclusive as well. Reductionists about tense then are invariably eternalists. So if you are a detenser, you almost have, almost have to be an eternalist. Most probably, you are then also a perdurantist, but this is not necessary. You may be a detensing eternalistic endurantist, for whatever what reason. Arthur Pyer compiled the other one-click bundle available on the market. He advocates the combination of tense theory, endurantism, and presentism. Besides arguing for presentism, Pryor states, quote, It is not the case that one part of me was a boy in New Zealand, while another part of me is a man in England. It is I who was the boy, and I, the same I, who am the man, unquote. Hence, endurantism. He further believes that it is raining actually means it's raining now. There seems to be a tendency here. On the one hand, the perdurantism, tenseless theory, eternalism package fits well and is often bought in one. Endurantism, tense theory and presentism, on the other hand, are not so tightly interwoven. The mentioned packages offer only a glimpse at the various links between the debates. So even if the three debates about the nature of time, the persistence through time, the reference to the present moment, start out independently, a satisfactory account in the philosophy of time, may very well need to take all three fields and their prerequisites into consideration. Thank you. This week's thinking music has been the track Traveling in Your Mind by Loyalty Freak Music. As always, there's a link on the blog post for this episode where you can listen to or download that entire track. Next week on the Trinity's podcast, Dr. Ryan Mullins defends the view that God is, quote, in time. We'll hear his presentation called In Defense of Divine Temporality. If you love the Trinity's podcast, please share this episode on social media like Twitter or Facebook and help other people to find the podcast by giving us an honest rating and review in the iTunes store for your country. You can also support the Trinity's podcast by giving a certain donation per episode. If you're interested in that, please visit patreon.com slash trinities. Finally, let us know what you think. Give us a comment on the blog post for this episode or join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash trinities. The Trinities Podcast is supported by and made for thinking believers like you. Thanks for your support, prayers, and encouragement.
for listening. We'll see you online at trinities.org. Till next time, don't forget to love God with all your mind.